Dr. Brona Keane on Ireland's Tooth Fairy Podcast, a podcast where we don't sugarcoat the truth and chat about different dental experiences within the dental world. Here we will be hearing from patients, friends and doctors. We will be brought on different dental journeys from all different perspectives to help everyone understand and change their perception of dentistry. Your teeth are a core aspect of your self-care and are to last you a lifetime. They provide you with your smile, speech, eating, and some people even say that the smile is the window to the soul. Hello, I'm Dr. Brona Keane and you are listening to Ireland's Tooth Fairy podcast. Joining me today is Dr. Sarah Murphy, and today we will be talking about HPV and its impact on both men and women's health. So welcome, Sarah. Thanks so much and thanks for having me on, Brenna. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Um, it's so good to have an expert opinion, obviously, on all of these things, um, because you are an pediatric and gynecologist in um, the National Maternity Hospital. So if you could just explain what an obstetrics and gynecology doctor is for sure. everyone. <laughs> so it's sort of, it's um, two specialties kind of combined in one. So obstetrics is the practice of medicine that um, supports women um, getting pregnant through their pregnancy, during their labor and delivery, and then in the postnatal period. Um, and everything that has to go along with that, including fertility. And then gynecology, I suppose, is the um, specialty of medicine that deals with women's health um, and typically the reproductive organs. Um, so that's everything from, you know, um, painful periods, heavy periods, absence of periods, um, pain during sex, um, you know, uh, all of, and then what we're, I said, a little bit of what we're going to talk about today, I suppose, is the cancers of the of those organs. Um, yeah. So it's it's the specialty of medicine that um, really focuses on women's health. So that links in, as you were saying, very much with your specialty with HPV, um, which is very topical with the cervical screenings and everything. But what a lot of people don't realise is its impact with the mouth and the throat as well. Um, HPV accounts for 72% of the oropharyngeal cancers, which are the cancers of the throat and the mouth. Men are four times more likely than women to get that cancer. Um, and the males that are most likely to get this cancer are non-smoker males in their 40s and 50s, which I don't think people realize because a lot of the time when people mention HPV, they think, oh, that's women's health. Um, but it, it's so prevalent. Like if it's it's the most common, it's more common um, to get the oropharyngeal cancer in men, but obviously the cervical cancer is more common with women. So it does impact the health of everyone really like so much um, and then like it's interesting though to notice though because with the with cancers obviously they're not going to show up straight away and they are showing up like at 40 and 50 with men and in the 30s to 50s with women um, which is way later on in life even though three out of four people have been exposed to HPV at some point in their life before they're 30. Um, so can you just explain to us a little bit about like why this presentation is only coming up so much later in life when people are being exposed to it so much earlier and why some people are getting why like obviously 75% of the population are not getting cervical cancer or oropharyngeal cancer so what makes one person more likely than another? Mm -hmm. So I suppose um, so HPV is, is, a, is a virus or it's a group of viruses 
um, and I, we see it through skin to skin contact and through sexual contact. So, you know, the majority of us are going to be exposed to it in some way. Um, and if you think of other viruses, just to explain this as simply as possible, you know, usually we get a virus and we clear it ourselves. Yeah. Um, and that's what happens with HPV as well. You get it and 90%, um, a lot of the stats and figures I give are specifically for women because that's that's what I know. So it, there might be slight differences with men and, and for the mouth, but just in terms of a woman who has the presence of HPV at the cervix, of those in two years, 90% of women will clear it themselves. The body will do it themselves. Okay. Um, and that's why some people will get HPV and go on to get a cervical cancer and some won't. In terms of why it takes so long, um, so HPV, when it's in the cells, it makes them change a bit. And cancer is where cells go from being a normal cell that does its own normal little thing um, to a cell that can kind of um, do abnormal things and become a cancer. When HPV is there, it kind of keeps um, giving this abnormal stimulus to the cells and it takes quite a long time for that to progress from just abnormal cells to cancer. And it can take anything from 10 to 20 years. So that's why you see people infected and it isn't until you know way down the line that they have um, a cancer. And this, I suppose, is the reasoning for screening that we can pick up these cancers or pre-cancers back when they're abnormal cells because there's that nice long period before they become um, straight out cervical cancer. And there is, though, different um, HPV strands, which would make people more susceptible. So can you kind of talk about that? Because there's like 200 or something, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, there, we, know, we know certainly there's at least 100. Um, and there's what we call high-risk and low-risk types. Um, yeah. High-risk types are those types that are, are more likely to cause cervical cancer. And of those, there's at least 30-something. Um, and they're the ones that really upset the cells and make them become cancerous. Then there's more low risk types and they're the ones that give you things like um, um, the um, warts at, in the genitalia area um, or sometimes even on the hands as well. So there's there's different types of this virus and they do different things. And if someone doesn't have um, the warts and stuff present, like is there like a latency period where it's not active and someone can still contract it or is someone just a host for the two years that they're getting rid of it? Yeah, exactly. So you can have the virus there and not know about it at all. So you might have the HPV virus and have no symptoms or signs of it. And often for women, it, it's only picked up during the cervical screening. Um, so much like, I suppose, again, other viruses, is you can carry it or be a host and not know that you are. OK. And um, then with those cervical screenings, are you there's if there's the different strands, are those coming up even if are you like swabbing for the non-cancerous ones as well so like if someone gets like there's one out of 20 I think the statistics you'll obviously have that right that are getting an abnormal swab back um, and obviously that can be like quite daunting because it's people in their 20s and it may be people's like first medical experience that's quite like not dramatic but you know hospitally wise um, so like what would you say to those people like are all of those ones the cancer ones or are you or are some of those one out of 20s being swabbed for a different one that's not actually worrying at all? Yeah, so that's it's to get a swab back and hear that you have HPV can be quite daunting. Yeah. Um, and there's there's lots of reassuring things to take from that as a result. So the first is that it, at the moment we're not doing genotype testing. And that's where we're not testing for what type of HPV it is. And that's likely going to change. 
risk. So you might have a low risk type of HPV. So that really doesn't matter. Um, the next is that you might have HPV and you might have only had it for two months and it's just happened to have been picked up. And the most likely thing is you're going to clear it yourself. Okay. And that's really reassuring. And then the next thing is you might have it there and it might be doing nothing. And that's why with the cervical screening, if we find HPV, we go and look to see what the cells are doing. Um, and if they're normal, amazing. And if they're abnormal, it's likely this has been caught really quick early and we can do something about it. And it doesn't mean you've cancer. And actually, now that we've picked it up, it's not going to become cancer. Yeah. So it's to get that result. While it feels very daunting, it's not. There's there's lots of positives um, to take from it. You just need to make sure that you're going for your screenings regularly and getting exactly. checked. Yeah, yeah. you can't find something if people aren't getting that. And I think it's still like quite an important thing where people are kind of shying away from getting those screenings in case they get something. When in fact, as you said, it can be caught up early and things can be done rather than it being a bigger deal. And that's kind of the same with most cancers, especially with oral cancer and stuff. A lot of people are scared to go with this problem because a lot of the time they don't want to hear the results but really you should be kind of looking for the results so then just on the note of um cervical screening and stuff there's different types you mentioned the dna testing and stuff so what why would someone be getting that over the pap smear and because i know they're two kind of buzzwords people are hearing so just to kind of yeah so this for for anyone who's listening specifically from ireland we changed our the way we screen um, last year in March, so March 2020. Um, and so we actually don't do smears anymore. And I can even see myself doing it in work. I ask women, when was your last smear? Because it's almost become um, colloquially the word we use. So what we used to do was smear for cells to see if there are changes in them. Now what we're doing is we're taking a swab to check for HPV. And if that's present, then we're going looking for the cells. And the re- reason we changed this is it's, it's more accurate. We're going to pick up more um, abnormalities with this way. So um, the kind of figure I use is we'll say 20 women have an abnormal um, have abnormal cells at the cervix. But the way we used to do it, 15 of those we picked up. And this way, where we screen for HPV first, we're going to pick up 18 of those. Um, and actually, the important thing I think to take from that is that that's 18 out of 20. So that means that yeah. two women who have abnormalities there, it isn't being picked up. And I think that's very frightening and very upsetting for women. Um, and unfortunately, that's just is the nature of screening. Um, screening yeah. will never pick up everything. And if that person goes for their test in two years, then would it, could does that mean that they're just more prone to not getting picked up or can they then be picked up the next time? It could be picked up the next time. And this is why we also, I think it's really important for women, while screening is really reassuring, um, I think it's really important for women um, to be aware of the symptoms of cervical cancer because... And what would that be? So a couple of different ones. And some of them kind of almost seem like things I don't know that you'd necessarily worry about unless you're being told that these aren't always normal so yeah. regular bleeding and what we mean by that is bleeding in between your periods um, and bleeding after sexual intercourse pain during sexual intercourse and like this does happen to some women and there can be a lot of reasons for it but it is something um to keep an eye on and get checked out yeah. and then specifically pain in your pelvis and kind of around the vagina um and inside it um so kind of where your pelvis is is your lower abdomen kind of over your hips we'll say 
um, and it's persistent pain there. So if those things are present and you're worried about them, they're definitely things to get checked out, even if you've had a, a normal um, smear or screening test. Um, and you just bring that to your GP, basically. Yeah, GP should always be your first protocol. Okay. And for then males, um, is there any testing out there? No, the, well, n- not at the moment in Ireland. Um, and I think, you know, we referenced, you referenced the orifharyngeal cancers. Um, there's other cancers men can get. So it's cancer of the penis, typically, and cancer of the anus or your bum. Um, From HPV. Okay. Yeah. They're all HPV related as well. And so is vaginal cancer, um, which is very rare, but a lot of the vaginal cancers would be from HPV. Um, so at the moment we're not screening men, we haven't a screening test for them. Um, so what they need to be aware of, I suppose, would be symptoms of these cancers. Those the small, I don't know if you can ever say benefit with cancers, but at least the penis is external. And if there's ever um, any abnormalities that a man sees, at least, you can report this whereas you don't see abnormalities on your cervix because it's inside. Would you know the symptoms for for male? So I suppose penile bleeding so any bleeding um, from the penis um, they might see some blood in their urine um, some discomfort um, either at the penis or at the anus at the the back passage or the bum Um, and then further on I suppose you you would see lesions um, at the penis or at the anus. That's interesting to know because like a lot because there's no screening test out there I think people may think that that again that men aren't prone but they are listed like for many of those kind of cancers that you've named um and it is so common I think um I I saw somewhere that it's basically regarded as um the common cold of STIs Mm -hmm. which (laughs) I thought was a good way of kind of putting it it also I guess makes it a little less daunting for people that are hearing about it from these screenings as well that it is something that is that common and a lot of people have had it rather than being so worried about it um but then there was the whole thing that the vaccine had come out um Sarah Mm -hmm. and at the beginning a lot of people were very cautious about getting it and I know that happens with all vaccines but at the end of the day everyone gets their MMOR now and everyone gets their tetanus when they need to get it so like why aren't people getting this if it's basically a vaccine against cancer? Mm-hmm. I know, and I suppose that's what I think as well. And I think sometimes then it's really difficult for me to understand why some people are hesitant, but there certainly is vaccine hesitancy. Um, and we saw a lot of it with the HPV vaccine. Originally when it was offered to girls and then last year when it was offered to boys. I suppose there's concerns um, about side effects that this vaccine is causing, but we know from the evidence and from the studies that the um, problems being linked to this vaccine were not caused by this vaccine. They were kind of happening alongside it. Um, We know that this vaccine is safe and we know that it prevents the cancers that HPV causes. And between the two of us, like I think we've mentioned about six different cancers. Cancers, yeah. Um, We talk so much about curing cancer um and while we don't have a cure for these cancers unless they're kind of you know every, every now and then you can but we have a prevention um in the form of a vaccine and to me, i know and to me that's just it seems like a no-brainer that you can get a vaccine and prevent your girl having about four or five cancers and your boy having about three or four cancers and and also passing it on to their um sexual partners in the future so to me it, i think it seems like a no-brainer and um, 
like if so then like I know that kind of came out it would have been just coming out when I was leaving school and stuff so if people didn't get it when when they were they were already sexually active would they would you still advise them to get the vaccine yeah so there's no there's no official guidance on this and we've actually I've talked through it with colleagues at work and the way we were thinking about it and I think this is the thought process of a lot of us so the best time to get it is before you're sexually active before you HPV has ever been in your body and the reason why it's probably going to be beneficial even if you have been sexually active is for two reasons so the first is you can clear HPV and get it again so if you had it cleared it and then get vaccinated you hopefully won't get it again and you stop it there yeah and then the second reason is we were talking about how there's loads of different types of HPV and the vaccine at the moment in Ireland protects you against nine of those types so you I may have heard the cancer as once. Oh, seven of them are, and two of them are actually number six and number 11, the ones that cause warts. So they, okay. they put them in as well. Okay. Um, so we'll say, for example, you, woman A has HPV 16, one of the cancer causing types. Yeah. Um, so she's wondering, should I get the vaccine? I already have it. Well, if she gets the vaccine, she's going to protect herself against in the future getting the eight other types. Okay. So to me, I think it is a good idea. The thing to consider, obviously, is it is then cost prohibitive. So in school, it's been offered to people for free. Once you're out of school, it is you have to pay for it. And for, for everyone, that isn't necessarily an option. So that's just something to keep in mind. If someone has had the vaccine, obviously, vaccines don't always work. Um, and if they then get HPV, would you would it be recommended for someone to go for a second line of HPV vaccine? In Ireland, this is all very new. We, the girls who would have been vaccinated, I suppose, are only coming into their 20s now. Um, yeah. And so it, they'll only be going for their screening tests around now and over the next few years. So um, still premature. So we might, yeah, so we might not have the data for that in Ireland yet. And I, so I don't know the answer. Um, but certainly that's something that we'll probably see come to the forefront over the next few years. The other thing was like again with we were mentioning with having the vaccine to cancers basically there seems to still be such a stigma around it um with its relation to sexual intercourse um and people's kind of I guess a lot of people were were not wanting to give it to their children because of the thought of them being sexually active um when really the age like what's the primal age that people should be getting the vaccine? So the the ages we're offering a lot I think are usually about eleven to fourteen so it's the age. I suppose you assume that children aren't yet sexually active. Um, there has been some studies in this abroad um, and they found that kids who had the vaccine were not more likely to engage in sexual activity. Um, and I think even for, I suppose for me, kind of logically speaking, I don't think I can imagine a child saying, oh, now I have this vaccine, I'm going to go off and have sex. <laughs> um, <laughs> It's such so, an interesting point like because they obviously haven't correlated it in the, their head yeah. also if you brand it as the HPV vaccine which it is rather than saying the sex vaccine or something they're not gonna as you say go off and have sex because of it um but what kind of would you would you be your advice to parents like who kind of have that stigma or like around that like what would you how what would be your words of encouragement let's say sure. for this you are considering getting the vaccine for the kids and have some sort of vaccine hesitancy um, and I think it's it is okay to be hesitant about vaccines I think sometimes people who are hesitant about vaccines are almost vilified but it, that is okay um, and I think then it's just important about educating yourself and being comfortable in your decisions so 
Um, obviously, with the internet, we have you know access to an you know an amazing amount of information. Yeah. Um, but the caveat with that is, I suppose, there's information that is incorrect and biased, and then there's information that is correct and unbiased. And it's about, I suppose, finding the correct information. Um, so the easiest or the best way, I suppose, to do that is if you have fears um, or concerns about getting your child a vaccine, to explore those. I always think the best person is that your GP who would know you and your family or a practice nurse um, or alternatively, you know, the HSE website and the survival check website will have a lot of information. This is factual, non-biased information. Um, so I think they would be things to explore if parents had concerns. With just with regards to reinfection and stuff. So you mentioned earlier about people with their partners and stuff and like how you wouldn't want to pass it on to them. Obviously, we want to have the best interest of our partners or even if people don't have partners, like do do they have to um, inform the per, the next person that they have sexual intercourse with? You, d- you know, you don't have to. So there's no there is no legal um obligation to inform someone um you could argue that there is an ethical obligation um in the same way if somebody has chlamydia um or gonorrhea um you might want to tell your partner you prior to engaging in sexual intercourse or certainly use barrier contraceptives um and by that i mean condoms um so there's no with, with these infections you do not have to tell your partner but I think you could certainly argue that it's important obligation yeah um and then you just mentioned condoms there like you mentioned also those skin-to-skin contact like how effective are condoms then if if you can also just be via skin-to-skin contact and then also there's also oral sex which is how it gets transferred to the mouth yeah exactly so I suppose the way it can transfer is from penile to vaginal sex penile to anal sex and then um oral sex both um female receiving and male receiving oral sex um and I think that with those certainly with oral sex with female receiving oral sex you can't use um a condom so while condoms certainly help um I think anything that helps then is is useful so certainly they'll reduce the risk of transmission with penetrative vaginal anal sex um but they will not bring the risk down to zero um okay. and that is why you know vaccination and screening are so important are the top priority yeah and then like so if you're going like if you have a partner then like is this just going to keep going back and forth between the two of you and you're never going to clear the thing or would you kind of get like one strand of hpv once in your life yeah, so in, in theory, I suppose it could be that, you know, you, you get it and you clear it and you get it again. Um, yeah. The most likely thing is that you will both clear it. Um, and it, so if you're in a monogamous relationship, then the most likely scenario is you will both clear it um, and then not be reinfected. Okay. And then sometimes um, with, mon- as you said, monogamous relationships, sometimes when people are getting screened for this and stuff, they it can be coming up later. Would that would not always mean though that their partner has been unfaithful <laughs> yeah exactly and I, and I think that's going to worry people as well it, it might present down the line um so exactly there, there is there's going to be scenarios um so for the girls who are 25 to 29 we're screening them every three years so in theory you could be tested at 25 be negative um and while in a relationship in three years time be tested again and be positive and still in the same relationship and it doesn't mean that they're unfaithful it just means that it might be presenting now 
presenting now okay um yeah I just thought that was I saw that and I was like I want to make sure that I bring that up um but then why so like what would be the risk factors for not clearing it anyone can do there is so I suppose the first one is smoking um those who smoke it's an independent risk factor actually for a lot of these countries but it's a risk factor for not clearing this vaccine so if there is room there to reduce the amount of cigarettes you smoke or even to give up it will help Um, and it will help for multiple things in your life um then there's sort of what we call non-modifiable non-modifiable risk factors so these are things that people can't change um and they they're things like immunosuppressed so these are people whose immuno um immune system are reduced so this might be someone who has um hiv this might be someone who has a cancer a different cancer um or this might be someone who has you know an autoimmune disease and is on immunosuppressants and the immunosuppressants are necessary for their disease yeah. but it does mean that their immune system is compromised the other one and i know that this i suppose this is not to stigmatize anyone yeah. this is just i suppose factual and um, we know that those who engage in sexual activity earlier in there so we at a younger age and yeah. those who engage with sexual activity with more partners are more likely to get it yeah so, and that's not to stigmatize sexual relations it's it's just a fact um I always find it interesting. We when you're increasing your exposure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, we never see cervical cancer in nuns, <laughs> which I oh. find really interesting. So basically, Sarah, you're telling us to all join a convent. Is <laughs> <laughs> our main it, message. It's just it is a fact that you know this is a this is a virus that is spread through sexual contact. Okay, yeah. Um and yeah, I guess then just to summary then um, up of kind of what we've been discussing then today is your main points then for prevention would be top would be the vaccine. Mm-hmm. Your second would be making sure you're on top of your screenings. Um, with regards to males, there is no screenings out there. So it is just abuse of condoms. Um, and then the last bit is just to be aware of the symptoms so that it comes on later in life. Yeah, yeah. So do, do not sit at home wondering you know go get it checked out okay um great that kind of wraps it up there um I'm so glad that we covered everything I think we've really um shown that this affects everyone and it doesn't discriminate against sex or anything like that so everyone does have to be equally as observant about all of the symptoms that are possible out there so thanks so much for coming on today Sarah you've been so informative my pleasure thank you so much for having me a wrap for today's episode thank you so much for joining sarah and i in our conversation today and be sure to check out at dr sarah j murphy and at dr bernie keen on instagram for more tricks and tips if you enjoyed today's episode be sure to share it with all of your friends and family